The text for the sermon this day is taken from Revelation 7, which you heard a little bit ago. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. First, I should have mentioned in the um, notes or the announcements, as you notice, there's only one of us here. And the reason is, is because Pastor Salcedo is under quarantine because Sue tested positive. So he is going to be out in te- for 14 days. So that's why it's just me. So just giving you a note on that. He has not tested positive. He tested negative. So, but he still has to be in quarantine. So it's kind of like a game of whack-a-mole. One goes in, gets out of quarantine. The other one goes in. I think that's pretty much all of our lives right now. But anyways, so today is All Saints Day. It's a, it's a feast day of the church that is actually extremely ancient. Almost from the beginning of the church, because there were so many martyrs, they began celebrating a day specifically for the martyrs of the faith. Now the date of this has kind of transitioned through the history of the church. So some... Original, the original day for All Saints Day was the Friday after Easter. And then at one point it was closer to what is now Memorial Day. And, but eventually they landed on November 1st because it is around the time of harvest for people in the Northern Hemisphere. And it works very good visually that we see farmers harvesting and we are mindful of God's harvest. But one of the readings that, sta- that is always read for All Saints Day is this one from Revelation chapter 7. And we're going kind of, to walk through this a little bit. So we're going to start, so you can follow along in your bulletin. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. I've got to stop there for a moment because there are certain faith traditions that will argue that only 144,000 people will be saved. And you probably know who these, which groups say this, and actually are, the ones that group say this are not actually technically Christian. But they argue only 144,000 will be saved, and the reason is is because right before this verse is that a mention of the 144,000. So what happened is, is John, who's witnessing this, he saw 144,000 initially. But he says, after this, I looked and behold, a great number. So in other words, first he only saw a little bit, and when he expanded his vision, he saw there's a whole lot more than 144,000. In other words, it looks like it's small, then it turned out, boom. So in other words, it says... No one could number. So great multitude. So do you know who, anybody guess what the number is of how many people are going to be saved? No one can number. There's your answer. So if anybody gives you a number, um, they're probably wrong. So from every nation, from all tribes and peoples. So this is, so it's not, when we say every nation, that's not just Americans and um, you know, Americans, Canadians, Mexicans, or whatever, but it's also every ethnic group, every heritage, every culture. So you could, whether you're like me, a Finnish American, or German, or Latino, or 
African descent, whatever your culture, all of them are there. And this is actually one of those, this, by the way, it is so wonderful. I don't know if you, um, little American history. If you know American history, there is a reason the date for the presidential election is always on the first Tuesday after the first Monday in the month of November. And there's a reason for that. It's so that the election never, ever lands on All Saints Day. Because there was a time in this country that All Saints Day was more important than the, the presidential election. Because they knew if they held it on All Saints Day, they would have a bad turnout. And I think that's a cool little anecdote because it's a reminder that we serve a greater kingdom. No matter what happens on Tuesday, we serve an eternal kingdom. But, and this is actually a reminder, this is every nation, every tribe, every people. You don't have to be an American to be saved. There's going to be a lot of other countries. It keeps going. In languages. So if you're familiar with the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, there was the Tower of Babel as we know it as we understand it. So after the flood, God flooded all the earth, and so man started to get clever. Ooh, God has promised you, you know, if God ever decides to flood us again, we have to react. So what they wanted to do was build this massive tower so high up into the sky, your English translations usually says it's built into heavens. They were actually, heavens can also mean sky. It's a goofy thing with the Hebrew word. But they were actually trying to get so high up, and the idea was, God floods the earth, they'll go to the top of that tower, and you can't flood us out. In other words, it was an act of defiance against God. But, what does God do? All of a sudden, they all have different languages. Now, our temptation is to think, is that when we enter into eternity, we're all going to have all these different languages, we're all going to have one language, and I don't know which one it would be, but actually, it's different. It's going to be, you're going to be able to speak Hebrew, you'll speak English, you'll run into somebody who speaks Swahili, and say, hey, how's it going, Fred? I don't know if there's any Swahili's named Fred, but you say, you'll speak to them and say, hi, how's it going? And he'll know exactly what you said. And he'll be able to speak to you in Swahili, and you will know exactly what they said. In other words, all languages will still exist. The difference is you will understand all of them, and so will they. That's actually what happened on the day of Pentecost. They're speaking languages that they shouldn't have known. Stand, so they're standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, which I'm going to come back to, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing, glory, and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen which, by the way, if you've ever sang, this is the feast, 
Those words kind of sound familiar because they make their way into it. Then it says, Then one of the, el- the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So I've been a pastor for seven and a half years. And in those seven and a half years, I've probably done somewhere around, I've been at either preached or been a part of about 80 funerals at this point, at least. And one of the things that often happens, doesn't happen all the time because there's a lot of circumstances that have to land right, but as a pastor, I have been in the hospital where we've done what is a service that is known as the commendation of the dying. It's a, it's a fairly lengthy service that we do with someone in the, la- in the last days of their life. There are many people that don't ever get to hear it because the death is sudden, or sometimes it's hard to predict the right time, especially if they're not fully conscious. You want to make sure family is there so at least they can participate. But you go through this whole series of scriptures, and the last scripture you read is this one, out of Revelation 7. And the reason, and there's a reason for this, because it says these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. We want, there's always been, there's all sorts of books spending time trying to figure out when is this great tribulation. I wonder when it's going to come. We got to know, we got to know when the end's going to come. We need to know when this great tribulation is coming. But notice the key word in there. These are the ones coming. In other words, he's not talking about a future event. He's talking about something happening right now. See, 2020, it's no secret. I know we're all hoping that the factory settings have been reset overnight. But 2020, we've lamented many times what this year has been like. We're still in quarantine. We still have to distance. We still have, you see, we have the tape on the pews. The reason we can't get to a second service, we've kind of been learning these few days where right now we've lost, right now we only have enough, we wouldn't have enough people for even one service for communion help because everybody keeps getting into quarantine. And it's just the harsh reality. 2020 has been quite the challenging year, and you add in, So you have the effects of COVID, you have the rioting in the summer, we have an election which anybody here actually thought, boy, I love watching those debates, those were such great entertainment. Well, maybe they were good entertainment, but they were not really good for what you're hoping for, probably. Do you like, I'm guessing we don't love having our constant ads on our whatever. We have that coming, we have And in the midst of that, I mean, those things are happening in 2020. There's all the realities that happen every day. We we are constantly, we're worried about our economy. We're worried about our jobs. There's everything that we are afraid of. And our bodies are dying. Our bodies are breaking down. Our bodies are decaying. Do you know when the Great Tribulation is? Now. You've always been in it. 
The great tribulation is life itself. The great tri- that is why, that is what he's talking about. Yes, there, I mean, yes, in the, old, in the book of Revelation, it does talk about there is a time where it's going to get really, really bad. But in this particular context, he's talking about right now. And the reason we say this, I mean, this is, and by the way, you know, if you're doing like a sermon report, perhaps, you're wondering where the law is, this is the consequence of sin. So often we think, you know, it's not so big of a deal if people serve, believe in other gods. We don't realize that that's what got us into the problem in the, whole, in the first place. We are not designed to serve any god but the triune god. And whenever we serve anything as god, and note, I said anything, so that includes our our bank account, our jobs, our hobbies. Whenever we serve any God other than the one true God, which by the way, every single sin is ultimately us serving another God. And of course, our favorite God is ourselves. Every time we do that, we are fighting against what God has designed and throwing it more and more off course. The reality that the world is not worse than it is is by the grace of God. Because he is in control. You have no idea how much worse this world would be if he really did sit back and just watch. We don't, this, the fallen world that we are in, everything, this tribulation we are experiencing, this is the consequence of sin. But see, this is spoken over a person on their deathbed. And the reason is, is because that second line, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Because that person who's on that bed, they were born into sin. They indeed are sinners. But one day, whenever it happened in their life, they were brought to a baptismal font. It might have been that one. It might have been another. And the pastor said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And on that moment, at that time, they received the robe of righteousness that was washed in the blood of the Lamb. The robe that these people have, they didn't receive it when they died, they received it when they were baptized. This is why there's an old tradition of giving christening gowns at baptisms. You know, giving that white gown right after they're baptized, that is why they've done it. It's symbolically showing what actually happened in baptism. They have been washed clean. In fact, in the ancient church, the way they used to do it was actually when you baptized, you came in your birthday suit, and as soon as you're done being baptized, they put a white robe on you, symbolizing the new identity you'd received in Christ. See, this is said over somebody who's on their deathbed because this person, when they take their last breath, the next breath they will take, 
they will be a member of what you read in Revelation 7. See, Revelation 7, it's an interesting passage because it's something that happened in the past. It's also something that's happening now. And it's something that is to come for us who are still alive. Everyone who dies in the faith, who dies trusting in the one true God, no matter how great their sin, they have received that robe of righteousness and they, in the blood of Christ, and they are now in that host arrayed in white, a multitude beyond number. They exchange that hospital bed, they exchange that hospital gown for a robe of palm branches, victory. And this is actually where traditionally churches have communion rails. They have them as half circles, or in our case, I guess it's a half square. The reason is, is because when you come up, you are the church militant. You're still fighting the battle. You are still fighting, serving the gospel. Your, do your job is to bring the gospel to the nations. That's why you still breathe. So you live here, so you come here, and you are united to the blood of Jesus. You're united to Jesus through the body and blood of Christ. But the reason it's only half is because on the other hat side is everyone who has died in the faith. Those names you just heard, for example, Dolores, whose funeral was on Thursday, Roma, whose funeral is tomorrow, or Helen's, who's going to be next Saturday, my grandmother who died this past May, they are on the other side. See, this, when you take the Lord's Supper, the church throughout the history is called this the, a portal, the place where heaven and earth meet. If you miss somebody who has died in the faith, and if you're like me, you do, this is where you get to be with them. And you receive the body and blood of Jesus. And if you don't believe me, we've said it all along. Therefore, the angels, archangels, and all the company of heaven. You've been saying it pretty much your whole life. There's a reason even in our contemporary service we keep those words. Because that is a promise. You could be united to Christ, the body. And so it says, therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. And I always add this because we are in Iowa, nor any blistering cold or knee-deep snow or slick ice, whatever. They didn't have to worry as much about that in Israel. For the lamb in the midst of their throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That is the promise to you. That is the, what has been given to those who have died in the faith. But here's the final thing. This is, you notice this is only in chapter 7 of Revelation. Do you know why? Because it's not actually the end of the story. 
The end of the story is in Revelation 21. The new heavens and the new earth. Your bodies will rise. So even though we sow them into the ground, the day will come, Jesus will walk through the graves and he'll just say, wake up. And no matter how deep of a sleeper they are, they will wake up. And they will have a body glorious and beautiful like it has never been. And so it is for all who trust in him. In Jesus' name, amen. The greatest peace and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep in the one true faith, the life everlasting. Amen.